Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey everyone, Dave here from the How We Solve podcast. I am talking today with Mara Gordon. Mara is the founder and CEO of Aunt Zelda's, and she's also a cannabis advocate, entrepreneur, and researcher. Mara, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. Happy for have, being here. Thanks. Glad to have you as well. Love to hear more about you and your company. You address some pretty interesting problems. You've spoken at a number of uh, conferences and, and, and sort of, I think you'll have a lot to share with us. So tell us a little bit about, you know, Aunt Zelda's. What is the mission? What is the company about and how to get started? Aunt Zelda's at this point is not a company. It's a brand. Started out as a mutual benefit nonprofit corporation back under the old California Compassionate Use Act that was passed in 1996, allowing for medical use of cannabinoid-based medicines. When I first entered this space, there was really nobody doing lab testing as far as looking at what was in things behind. Besides, you know, people were testing flour. There was one dispensary in California testing flour for THC and CBD. And that was about it. Nobody was actually testing any products. So how were you going to know how to treat a patient or how to treat, you know, how how much to take if you don't have any lab results to go on? So I created a line of, of medicines to treat various diseases and then started collecting the data around that usage and the feedback loop, looking at really objective whether it was working or not, not just subjective, like how do you feel? Because frankly, how you feel and how it's working at a metabolic level are not always the same thing. So I was able, that's what I, I started Aunt Zelda's, gosh, over 10 years ago now, after Prop 64 passed in California legalizing cannabis for recreational use, it changed the legal format of the Compassionate Use Act. It got rid of that. So it, there was no longer a mutual nonprofit option. I'd already had, you know, trademarks in 14 countries. I had all these things. So I just created the brand. And now licensing, initially I had a manufacturing facility and I didn't like being the, having to do that. So uh, now I license the SOPs and the IP and the brand, like we're in South Africa, going into Brazil, getting ready to open in Massachusetts, California, of course, and moving from there. Awesome. You know, there's a lot of confusion about the industry. You even corrected me earlier when we were speaking about the usage of the term cannabis and CBD and THC and hemp and I was wondering if maybe you could help some of the listeners differentiate between those terms so we have a better understanding of what we're talking about. Absolutely. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity because this is one of my biggest pet peeves about cannabis and hemp. You talk to hemp farmers, well, not even the hemp farmers, the hemp industry people, they talk about CBD, CBD all the time. That's just a big marketing ploy because, and they'll call it hemp They'll call it CBD and then they'll call it marijuana. Well, marijuana is a pejorative term that should never be used by anybody. First of all, it's, it's, it's racist. The only difference between cannabis and hemp is it's a completely subjective thing that has no basis in science. And it's about the fact that one has below a certain threshold of THC and one doesn't. The hemp people are saying, oh, it's not going to have any psychoactivity, so don't worry about it as if psychoactivity is somehow a bad thing instead of the fact that it's not. I mean, we have psychoactivity from drinking a cup of coffee. 
We have psychoactivity from having a glass of wine. There's so many different things, even just going for a run. So somehow we have vilified the idea of it. The hemp market, the hemp industry has really done a huge disservice to patients because if they have passed the farm bill or got the farm bill passed in order to be able to have across state lines movement of hemp. And somehow they've made it where CBD is okay, but THC is bad. And the reality is the vast majority of patients require THC and some CBD. But if I had a choice between one or the other, I would take THC every day of the week instead of CBD. CBD is wonderful and it has its bad, has its uses. It's also in the cannabis plant where hemp should really be a food or a fiber or a fuel and not try to be a medicine because the way that it's being regulated is not being regulated effectively. And instead you have people buying products that are horrible from Etsy or at the gas station or Amazon. I had a story of a, I had a mother that came to me about two weeks ago to looking for medicine for her child, her nine-year-old child that had stage four cancer. And she was in a state where cannabis, she wasn't, she didn't have access to my medicine, uh, which is fine. I mean, I don't just tell people how to use ours, you know, hammers, everything's a nail. It's not at all. She told me the CBD product she was able to access. And I was like, I don't see it. I was looking for it. I said, you know, can you send me a photograph of the labels on it? And she did. And she had been sold. And I say that she didn't buy. She had been sold because she was an uninformed buyer. So it was the responsibility of the retailer product to give her child that was designed for refilling vape pens with all sorts of artificial things in it, which are disgusting anyway. But to be giving it to a nine-year-old at a high concentration because she's trying to kill cancer. And that's the kind of thing you see in the hemp market that you don't see anymore in the cannabis market because of regulation. So where would you like to see, I guess, these two markets go? Is it my understanding that, like you said, cannabis has more regulation and, and that has prevented more, less marketing and salesmanship in it? Am I understanding correctly? Well, we have to undo the damage of the drug war first of all, with cannabis, because you have so many people that assume, and I was one of them before I discovered otherwise, that cannabis was this gateway drug or that it was this horrible thing or dangerous. So we have to undo a lot of that. Part of the reason that we aren't further along with it in the United States anyway, is because we do not allow transfer across state lines. So every instance of cannabis is unique and starting over everywhere you go. You have to find new manufacturers, new everything. The only thing you can really take across state lines at all is packaging. And even that, you have to have separate invoice because everything has to go through track and trace. Where I would like to see it really go is I would like to see cannabis to continue to expand as the medicine to help patients and have research being done on formulations for treating various diseases and have hemp. Hemp is so incredibly powerful and has so many benefits. Why isn't it not enough that you can replace cotton and paper, petroleum products? I mean, there are so many, and foods, I mean, there are so many uses of hemp with climate change. We have all these issues that could be addressed and all these, you know, the deforestation, hemp being planted at areas that have toxic soils. It can, it's a 
accumulator plant so it'll clean the the soils i mean all of these different things it can do that would be enough we can build our we could do our we could build our houses out of concrete made from hemp why is that not enough why do you also have to be isolating the cbd so you're growing it in such a way what are you doing with the fibers what are you doing with all the rest of it that could be being used in these other areas so i would just really like to see each of them stay in their own lane Sure, and sort of a broader maybe acceptance of them. You mentioned Aunt Zelda was started approximately 10 years or so ago. I imagine the industry has undergone some transformative changes in that time. I'd love to hear a little bit about the differences between then and now. What was it like starting starting back then? So when I first started, <laughs> there was no Facebook groups for cannabis. Now you can't swing a cat without hitting one. There was THC Forum which was basically a bulletin board. There was a few people on Twitter that I could find to ask questions. And this is like, you know, late 2010, early 2011. When I came out saying, well, I'm going to collect data around cannabis and I'm going to, you know, figure out how to, how to treat these diseases, people pretty well thought I'd lost my mind, that there was no such thing as collecting data around cannabis. There was, it just isn't possible because of all the variances. People thought I was crazy. And I was like, okay, you just keep on thinking that while I go ahead and do it which is what I did. You know, as a result, I've, I've made some pretty big inroads. We've, had, we've completed our clinical trials on Somnia formulation at Zolira. It's coming out. Zolira Therapeutics is coming out with Xenoval, which is the insomnia that's been through clinical trials. And that's a formula I created here in California. We call it Aunt Zelda's. We call it nighttime. All of that has been able to happen because of all these years of data that I was able to collect to validate what's working and what isn't working for different diseases. Also, when I started talking about this, I would, there weren't as many conferences. I mean, at the time when I started, you had HempCon, you had the Cannabis Cup, you had patients out of time. So there were very few opportunities to speak at any of the educational. They were all pretty well industry-oriented. So I've seen the onslaught of all of the educational opportunities, all of the conferences, the, the legalization around the world. I mean, it used to be California. When I came into this, California had the Compassionate Use Act. We'd had it for all those years since 96. There were some variances of it in like New Mexico, Colorado, Washington, some other places, but there wasn't really the rollout. And then once Colorado and Washington went full on adult use, you started seeing this rolling out of opportunities in other states and countries. I had participated in a documentary called Weed the People that followed a bunch of my pediatric patients over a period of, I think, five, five and a half years. At that time, when I first started that, you know, there were no doctors for me to send these kids to because the doctors that were being interviewed, even the ones in the, in the film, they weren't actually treating patients. They were just writing a recommendation so that you could take that somewhere and buy cannabis. But they weren't actually treating the patients like they would anything else with cannabis being one of their pharmaceuticals. At that beginning of the film, I was having to do it all myself and collect the data and then teach doctors. Now you have, I was on the call this morning with a woman in uh, Panama that started the society, Cannabis Medical Society in Colombia. And we were talking about the programs that, that we've put together in Israel and the programs in all these other places. And it's just, it's a, it's a completely different world now than it was when I started this a decade ago. You know, here's a kind of a silly question. 
but I'm a silly, uninformed person when it comes to this industry. So you mentioned using cannabis to treat insomnia, I, I believe. It's certainly one of the use cases that I've heard of as being a common application of cannabis. At the same time, there are sort of other drugs and things out there that also claim to be alleviance, uh, you know, solutions for insomnia. I mean, why is it there's all these different sort of treatments? Is it just that people just react differently to different things and we're just trying to kind of find the one that works for us? And that's why having cannabis as an option is something that would be good for some subset of people who don't respond to the ones that are already out there. Well, first of all, cannabis, first of all, there's no such thing as a stupid question. That was a good question. Um, it was a very good question. And it's one that I'm not actually, haven't been asked before. And I'm glad you asked it because it's an important question. Like, why bother? If there's already something out there, why do we need something else? And the reality is there isn't anything out there that works for most people. Most of the, uh, there's two more commonly known drugs, Ambien and Lunesta, and neither of them work very well. And both of them have horrible side effects. That's the, the biggest thing is if you can come, out with, uh, come up with something that's safer for people to use with less potential harm and side effects, why wouldn't you do it? I have this, uh, it's a separate thing, but it's, it's, it's really the same idea is the pharmaceutical industry has fed the medical community such a bill of goods that's so inaccurate about the importance of the whole single molecule of creating medicines and the whole way that they, that they actually trial them. And they're trying to do the same thing with cannabis, which is a complete failure to date. So if you can show a physician that they can effectively treat their patient without doing harm and without the side effects, pardon me, why wouldn't they do it? Especially if you take out the fear and you, tell, you hold their hand and you say, we have trials on this. We have tried this. You do not have to be afraid of this drug. Exactly what I wanted to know. And so, you know, in addition to insomnia, which you already mentioned, are there a couple other ailments which you put in a similar category as, hey, these are things that have been out there for a while. A lot of people have them, suffer from them. We don't have a good solution today. Cannabis could be that solution. 100%. First of all, in fact, I just did a presentation on this. I call it the trifecta. You have pain, insomnia, and sleep. I mean, excuse me, pain, anxiety, and sleep. Pain, chronic pain, that was what my entry into, the, into this was, was for pain, you know, and to go from fentanyl patch and Neurontin and 26 drugs, most of them to affect side effects of other drugs versus using cannabis with uh, THC, obviously. I think it's important that people understand that. Instead, and eliminate all those drugs and all those side effects, I'm going to have a lot longer and, and better quality of life. And for anxiety, people, there are no good drugs out there for people that suffer from anxiety and depression. I mean, we have all these, uh, and also let's look at PTSD. There just are no good options out there in the pharmaceutical space. Sleep, we've already covered. And then I think that's other category that I want to mention most people never heard of this, but because of the COVID, there more and more people are uh, hearing the term of orphan diseases because you can get a drug to market much more quickly or any kind of medicine to market quickly when you have an orphan drug designation. What that means is you have uh, under 200,000 people in the U.S. who are suffering from a disease. Well, that's not enough people for the average pharmaceutical company to invest the exorbitant amount of money it takes to go through clinical trials. So instead, these people are left either using um, off-market 
purposes on the drugs they're using or just not being treated. And cannabis has been extraordinarily beneficial in quite a few of these. For example, the tremors in multiple sclerosis. Some of the side effects on ALS can slow it down. Huntington's disease. Even pediatric cancer is a orphan designation because to try to get a drug company to develop a drug specifically for children is almost impossible because of the potential risk, all right? And then people just don't have the stomach for trying things out on kids. So as a result, you have children that do not have access to the type of, of new formulations and cannabis can potentially, I mean, I've seen the evidence, it can make a huge, huge impact on the well-being and the outcomes of these, you know, orphan diseases. If I understand correctly about a little bit of the process, it's, you know, that you develop the formulas for dosages and you maybe run those with through clinical trials of your own patients. And then if you find, you know, a successful formula, then you try to introduce that to maybe other doctors to who can then prescribe it to their own patients. So firstly, is that correct? And then secondly, how has the reception among the doctors been to some of the data that you've presented them? Good question. There's a little nuance to what you said in that I don't do clinical trials with Aunt Zelda's. What I do is I collect empirical data and I have the feedback loop. For example, we collect about 300 data points going in on each patient. And then we look at the lab results of the actual products that they're using, no matter whose product it is. We're able to actually look at the COAs on that, follow back through with the patient on what they're using, how they're using it. And then also, you know, depending on what the disease is, there's always some sort of a scale, whether it's a pain scale or a cancer marker scale or whatever it is, we're able to actually get pretty darn good data, objective data on what's working and what's not. When we accumulate enough of this, we can start predicting for, you know, it's not going to be exact because everybody's endocannabinoid system is different. Everybody reacts differently. But when you have enough people just the, you know, the sheer numbers of people, we can start looking at the other data points to try and figure out what are the differences between these to make a difference in this one. And if we get it, frankly, the way I feel about it is if we get it right 80% of the time, that is really good. That is really, really good. Now, how do doctors respond to me on this? At the beginning, I got no respect. There was a few who did. In fact, I had one doctor, Dr. Jody Goldstrich. He's a former cardiologist, lipidologist, internal medicine doctor. I mean, the guy is just, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. He hounded me. He actually hounded me to ask if he could follow me around and see what I was doing with patients. So I had him sit on like 70 phone calls with patients. And then he was able to then work with patients directly himself. And then he was able to go on a treat. And then I have another doctor, Dr. Harry McElroy, who's done this thing. So I work with a lot of doctors and nurses. I trained um, Eloise Thiessen initially, and she went on to now she's the president of the American Cannabis Nurses Association. So some of them are going to just be haters, but the majority of them are so grateful to have somebody who's giving them knowledge. And I also have my software platform, Octopi Wellness. We've been using internally for years, and now we're scaling it to make it available for other doctors. And that's really kind of one of the cool things about COVID is it's given me the opportunity to be here instead of traveling all the time so I could actually focus and work on 
the platform more. That's a great segue into, you know, the sort of next final-ish part of the conversation. I want to hear more about this platform, Octopi Wellness. What does it do? Who's it for? How have you been using it? Well, it's actually designed for doctors. If I think about it in terms, who are we ultimately serving? It's ultimately serving patients because the patients are the ones that are going to benefit from having their doctors to know how to treat them. However, it's designed for physicians to use with their patients. So let's say you have, you go to your doctor and you're complaining about sleep issues. Just keep it really simple. When your doctor goes and looks at what are the treatments available for sleep, issues, let's say insomnia in this case, it's going to show them Lunesta, it's going to show them Ambien, it might show, you know, one or two or three others as well. I also want it to show cannabis. I want, so it's not like I'm saying instead of, I want it to be one of the options in the doctor's toolbox. When they're treating patients, they have the opportunity to treat them with everything that's available and make their own decisions on how they do it. I want the patient then will be able to once they get the recommendation from the physician, the physician is actually able to get them because of our platform and all the data specific. Like I want you to use, you know, 10 milligrams of a THC dominant. I want there to be beta caryophylline. I want CBN in there and I want some myrcene. All right. So that's what the patient gets. It's, it's completely agnostic to products. And then when the patient goes to look at what products are available that have been vetted by us that we actually think are safe and good quality products that are available in their, in their uh, geographical area, then it'll only show them those products that match what the physician recommended. So if the physician recommends a transdermal patch, it's not going to show them a suppository. If you, you know, it's not going to show them a gummy bear. It's going to show so that the, and then once that's done, once that's selected, the physician will be updated to know what the patient's actually using so we can monitor over time whether it's being used, being titrated correctly. So it really creates a closed loop system. And then once the product is, is established with the dose, we can just renew it over and over and over again the same way we do all of our other pharmaceuticals. That's super interesting. Everything you're saying to me, I keep thinking future of healthcare. You know, I think uh, this, is, this is where we, it should be, right? But it isn't. 100%. I mean, that's why I'm doing this. Somebody said to me, what is your goal? And I said, is to change the face of healthcare. It's to change it. Just completely revolutionize it. Because what we've been doing, people are living longer, but they're living so much sicker. It's a great point. I can't imagine more powerful ending for this episode. So I'm going to wrap it up on that. Thank you so much for your time. I knew I'd learn a lot. For those who'd like to learn more about you and your brands, how should they find you? Well, they can certainly go to antzeldas.org to see some of our products that are available and some of the information. You know, because we've been an R&D company all these years, I've never really big on the retail part of it and the marketing part of it. But they can also just write to me at mara at antzeldas.org, and I'm happy to answer any questions or direct them to the right person in my organization. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on our show and for sharing uh, this knowledge and time with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave. 
Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.